Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well and that you had a glorious Pentecost and a very wonderful Memorial Day yesterday. Um, We watched a video, it's about 11 minutes, on YouTube, and the title is The Star-Spangled Banner, as you've never heard it before. Uh, It's absolutely glorious, and will tell your family, your children, the story of our um, of our national anthem, which most people don't know, a number of the sisters with me never had heard that story before. Uh, it's really, really wonderful. And Pentecost in the older calendar uh, is an octave. I guess after Vatican II, I think the octaves were just removed outside of perhaps Christmas and Easter. But this is not simply. Uh, an eight-day octave, it's a first-class octave. Every single day of this week is a first-class feast. How I long for everyone to return to the church that Christ gave us, to all the meaning, to all the festivals, um, to all the feasts, uh, to all the beautiful doctrine, and most of all, to the practice. Um, it, it's it's so very beautiful, and to walk with Christ through the liturgical year that he gave us is one way to not be overtaken by the craziness and uh, evil of the world. I'm going to read to you from Dom Garanger. He wrote this in 1870, um, his writing on Pentecost. He says, the, the great day which consummates the work that God had undertaken for the human race, has at last shone upon the world. The days of Pentecost, as St. Luke says, are accomplished. That's Acts chapter 2. We have had seven weeks since the Pasch, and now comes the day that opens the mysterious number of 50. This day is the Sunday already made holy by the creation of the light, and by the resurrection of Jesus. It is about to receive its final consecration and bring us the fullness of God. Dearest, Pentecost is not past. We're right in the middle of the eight-day octave. In the old and figurative law, God foreshadowed the glory that was to belong at a future period to the 50th day. Israel had passed the waters of the Red Sea thanks to the protecting power of his paschal lamb. Seven weeks were spent in the desert, which was to lead to the promised land. And the very morrow of those seven weeks was the day whereon was made the alliance between God and his people. The Pentecost, which means the 50th day, it's not uh, the reason that it's a Catholic Uh, Holy Day, beloved, is because it first was a Jewish Holy Day. It means the 50th day. It was honored 
by the promulgation of the Ten Commandments of the Divine Law, when I grew up in my Jewish home, we called it Simchas Torah, the rejoicing over the law. The law gave dear ones, the law that God gave to Israel um, at Mount Sinai and was known as the birthday, the birth of Judaism. In every following year, the Israelites celebrated the great event by a solemn festival. But their Pentecost was figurative, like their Pasch, everything, beloved. I hope you can tell what I'm reading and commenting, um, since you can't see me doing it. But everything in the Old Testament led to Christ. Every single thing was figurative, a foreshadow of the reality to come. Um, and so their Pentecost was figurative, like their Pasch, the Passover. There was to be a second Pentecost for all people, as there was to be a second Pasch for the redemption of the whole world. The Pasch, with all its triumphant joys, belongs to the Son of God, the conqueror of death. Pentecost belongs to the Holy Ghost, for it is the day whereon the Holy Ghost began his mission into this world, which henceforth was to be under his law. Now, as I read that, I'm mindful that at Pentecost, the third person of the Blessed Trinity was exposed to the world in all his fullness. He always existed because he's God. He is the third person of the Blessed Trinity. And it was his spirit, dear ones, that hovered over the waters at creation. So he did not begin his ministry at Pentecost, but he began his mission into this world so that we could see it and know it at Pentecost. But how different are the two Pentecosts? The one on the rugged rocks of Arabia amidst thunder and lightning, that's on Sinai, promulgates a law that is written on tablets of stone. The second is in Jerusalem, on which God's anger has not as yet been manifested, because it still contains within its walls the first fruits of that new people over whom the spirit of love is to reign. In this second Pentecost, the heavens are not overcast, nor is the roar of thunder heard. The hearts of men are not stricken with fear, as when God spake on Sinai. Repentance and gratitude, these are the sentiments which are now uppermost. A divine fire burns within their souls and will spread throughout the whole world. Our Lord Jesus had said, I am come to cast fire on the earth, and what will I but that it be kindled? The hour for the fulfillment of this word is come. The Spirit of love, the Holy Ghost, the eternal uncreated flame is about to descend from heaven and realize the merciful design of our Redeemer. Jerusalem is filled with pilgrims who have flocked thither from every country of the Gentile world. They feel a strange, mysterious expectation working in their souls and their Jewish pilgrims, beloved, because this is their feast. They are Jews and are come from every foreign land where Israel has founded a synagogue. They are come to keep the feasts of Pasch, that's the Passover, and Pentecost, or in Hebrew, Shavuot. Asia, Africa, and even Rome have here their representatives, 
amidst these Jews, properly so-called, are to be seen many Gentiles who, from a desire to serve God more faithfully, have embraced the Mosaic law and observances. They are called proselytes. This influx of strangers who have come to Jerusalem out of a desire to observe the law gives the city a Babel-like appearance, for each nation has its own language. They are not, however, under the influence of pride and prejudice, as are the inhabitants of Judea. Neither have they, like these latter, known and rejected the Messiah, nor blasphemed his works, whereby he gave testimony of his divine character. It may be that they took part with the other Jews in clamoring for Jesus' death, but they were led to it by the chief priests and magistrates of the Jerusalem, which they reverenced as the holy city of God and to which nothing but religious motives have brought them. Beloved, <clears throat> I haven't read further in this writing by Dom Garanger, who we love, who restored the Benedict order in Gregorian chant to Europe in the 1800s, and we are Benedictines, and have his 15-volume uh, liturgical set, the whole liturgical year. But I, I want to remind everybody that when anybody, including Dom Garanger, when anyone... Um, speaks of the Jews clamoring for Jesus' death. They are correct, but it, not all Jews. It was the leaders and the people there. Um, and people say, well, the Jews rejected Christ. That's why he went to the Gentiles. No, he went to the Gentiles through the Jews who accepted him. He said in Acts chapter 2, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, and the other parts of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, and the other parts of the world utter parts of the world, and they went. And the Jews in Rome and all over the world are thankful, as am I, as are you, for the Jews who embraced the Messiah and took his mission, were the first missionaries, were the first proclaimers of the Gospels. So when we say the Jews clamoring for Jesus' death, that's not incorrect, as long as we realize it was a party of Jews and primarily their leaders, but not all Jews. My goodness, all the disciples were Jews. They didn't reject him. The Blessed Mother was a Jew. She didn't re is a Jew. She didn't reject him. Thousands of Jews. And today, my brother David is president of the Association of Hebrew Catholics all over the world. No, if the Jews totally rejected Christ, there would be no church today, because the church, Ephesians says, was founded on the apostles and prophets, and they're all Jews, every single one of them. God used his people, a remnant of his people, to spread the gospel to the four corners of the earth, that every Jew and every Gentile might be saved through the only name that must be declared under heaven. There's the music, dear ones, for our first break. We'll be right back after the break to continue this, and at the second break, um, I'm very happy to have that half hour all to ourselves and take your calls and your emails. The toll-free number is one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should churches have a structure of hierarchy? Your average non-Catholic evangelical church would say, no, not needed. Why? Each church or denomination should be autonomous and choose their own way of governing. Well, that's wrong. Hierarchy engenders pride and ego. Same as false humility. What works in Tulsa may not work in Paris. Let's not forget that Jesus and his church cross international boundaries. So my Catholic friend, here's your toolbox for evangelism. Natural reason, the Bible and the church. Natural reason says all social and legal institutions necessitate certain human boundaries and designated leadership. Religion is not exempt. The Bible, St. Peter, St. James, John, and Paul's letters show clear standards of jurisdiction and authority with ramifications if ignored. And the Catholic church says St. Peter, Peter was given a chair, and from that authoritative chair, the Holy Spirit was promised to lead the chat chair till Christ comes. That is safe, and that is right. This is Steve Gleason with Catholic Questions Live. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. Bishops, archbishops, and priests, separate yourselves from politicians who promote the evil of abortion and other wicked ideologies that are under the curse of Almighty God and stop sharing platforms with them and forbid those who are so deceitful, dishonest, and spiritually bankrupt that they still dare to approach the altar. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live today by audio, not video and are thrilled to be um, bringing the magnificent writing of Dom Prosper Garanger on the uh, Feast of Pentecost, which was, of course, Sunday, uh, a fulfillment of uh, everything that went before in the Jewish law. The rejoicing over the law, the birthday of Judaism on Pentecost became the birthday of the church. Um, it is so, so magnificent. And on Pentecost, it is now the hour of tears. That's the third hour of the day, nine o'clock our time. It's fixed from all eternity for the accomplishment of a divine decree. It was at the hour of midnight <clears throat> that the Father sent into this world that he might take flesh in Mary's womb. The Son eternally begotten of himself, so now at this hour of tears, the Father and Son send upon the earth the Holy Ghost who proceeds from them both. He is sent to form the church, the spouse and kingdom of Christ. He is to assist and maintain her. He is to save and sanctify the souls of men. And this his mission is to continue to the end of time. Suddenly is heard 
coming from heaven, the sound of a violent wind. It startles the people in the city. It fills the cynical with its mighty breath. A crowd is soon round the house that stands on Mount Sion. The 120 disciples that are within the building feel that mysterious emotion within them, of which their master once said, the spirit breatheth where he will, and thou hearest his voice. Like that strange invisible creature, which probes the very depth of the sea and makes the waves leave mountains high, this breath from heaven will traverse the world from end to end, breaking down every barrier that would stay its course. The Holy Assembly have been days in fervent expectation. The Divine Spirit gives them this warning of his coming, and they, in the passiveness of ecstatic longing, await his will. As to them that are outside the cynical and have responded to the appeal thus given, let us for the moment forget them. A silent shower falls on the house. It is a shower of fire, which, as Holy Church says, burns not but enlightens, consumes not but shines. Flakes of fire in the shape of tongues rest on the heads of the 120 disciples. It is the Holy Ghost taking possession of all and each. The Church is now not only in Mary, but also in these 120 disciples. All belong now to the Spirit that has descended upon them. His kingdom is begun. It is manifested. Its conquests will be speedy and glorious. But let us consider the symbol chosen to designate this divine change. He who showed himself under the endearing form of a dove on the occasion of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan now appears under that of fire. He is the spirit of love. And love is not only gentle and tender, it is also ardent as fire. Now, therefore, that the world is under the influence of the Holy Ghost, it must needs be on fire, and the fire shall not be checked. And why this form of tongues? To show that the heavenly fire is to be spread by the word, by speech. These hundred and twenty disciples need but to speak of the Son of God, made man, and our Redeemer, of the Holy Ghost, who renews our souls, of the Heavenly Father, who loves and adopts us as his children. Their word will find thousands to believe and welcome it. Those that receive it shall all be united in one faith. They shall be called the Catholic Church, that is, universal, existing in all places and times. Jesus had said, Go teach all nations. The Holy Ghost brings from heaven both the tongue that is to teach and the fire, which is the love of God in mankind, which is to give warmth and efficacy to the teaching. This tongue and fire are now given to these first disciples, who by the assistance of the Holy Ghost will transmit them to others. So will it be to the end of time. An obstacle, however, opposes the mission at the very onset. And I'm going to interrupt that to say that 
the world has always found a way to send obstacles into our Lord's work at every, every turn. Since the confusion at Babel, there have been as many languages as countries. Communication by word has been interrupted. How then is the word to become the instrument of the world's conquest, conquest and make one family out of all these nations that cannot understand each other? Fear not, the Holy Spirit is all powerful and has provided for this difficulty with the other gifts wherewith he has enriched the 120 disciples he has given them that of understanding all languages and of making themselves understood in every language in a transport of holy enthusiasm they attempt to speak the languages of all nations their tongue and their ear take in not only without effort but even with charm and joy, this plenitude of word and speech, which is to reunite mankind together. The spirit of love has annulled the separation of Babel. Men are once more made brethren by the unity of language. How beautiful art thou, dear church of our God. Heretofore the workings of the Holy Ghost have been limited, but now he breatheth freely where he willeth. He brings thee forth to the eyes of men by this stupendous prodigy. Thou art the image of what this earth was when all its inhabitants spoke the same language. The prodigy is not to cease with the day of Pentecost, nor with the disciples who are its first receivers. When the apostles have terminated their lives and preaching, the gift of tongues, at least in its miraculous form, will cease because no longer needed. But thou, O Church of Christ, will continue to speak all languages, even to the end of time. For thou art to dwell in every clime. The one same faith is to be expressed in the language of every country, and thus transformed. The miracle of Pentecost is to be kept up forever within thee as one of thy characteristic marks. The great St. Augustine alluded to this when he spoke the following admirable words, quote, the whole body of Christ, the church, now speaks in all tongues. Nay, I myself speak all tongues, for I am in the body of Christ. I am in the church of Christ. If the body of Christ now speaks all languages, then am I in all languages. Greek is mine, Syriac is mine, Hebrew is mine, and all are mine, for I am one with all the several nations that speak them. During the ages of faith, the church, which is the only source of all true progress, succeeded in giving one common language to all the nations that were in union with her. For centuries, the Latin language was the bond of human, or rather the bond of union between civilized countries. However distant these might be from one another, there was this link of connection between them. It was the medium of communication for political negotiations, for the spread of science, for friendly epistolary correspondence, 
No one was a stranger in any part of the West or even beyond it who could speak this language. The greatest heresy of the 16th century robbed us of this as of so many other blessings. It dismembered that Europe which the church had united not only by her faith but by her language. But let us return to the cynical and continue our contemplation of the wondrous workings of the Holy Ghost within this still closed sanctuary. And I'll just break for a moment, beloved, to say that Latin, therefore, right from the beginning, has been the language of the church, no matter what country, no matter what people. It is the universal language of the church. And because Latin is a dead language in the sense that it doesn't change, there's no new words, there's no woke uh, language process, uh, it's the same always and everywhere. It doesn't change, so it's called a dead language because it stays as it is, where English and other languages continue to evolve. Latin does not, which made it the perfect language for the worldwide church because wherever we went, any country where we didn't speak their language, we could go to Mass, and we had Latin, and we all understood it, no matter where we were from. And it was a great, great blessing. Now we travel and go into different churches, and we don't know what's going on. Well, we have an idea. We know the Mass, but we, we don't understand the readings uh, and so forth. Because they're in a foreign language. It's not what God intended, which is why Vatican, even Vatican II, Paul VI, um, instructed us to retain Latin in, in, um, uh, in the hymns, in the Sanctus, um, uh, in the Agnus Dei, and in other parts of the Mass. But most have thrown that out as well. Dom Garanje continues, first of all, we look for Mary, for her who now, more than ever, is full of grace. After those measureless gifts lavished upon her in her immaculate conception, after the treasures of holiness infused into her by the incarnate word during the nine months she bore him in her womb, after the special graces granted her for acting and suffering in union with her son in the work of the world's redemption, after the favors wherewith this same Jesus loaded her when in the glory of his resurrection. After all this, we should have thought that heaven had given all it could give, all it could give to a mere creature. However sublime the destiny of that creature might be. But no, here is a new mission opened for Mary. The church is born and the church is born of Mary. Mary has given birth to the spouse of her son. The new duties fall upon the mother of the church. Oh, beloved, this is so beautiful. Uh, we're gonna continue with this tomorrow. It's, I find it to be exquisite. There's the music for our second break, and we will come uh, to your calls, your emails, and uh, the ha half hour is ours. I look forward to it, beloved. Call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. 
Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for May 30th. Today we celebrate Saint Joan of Arc. Joan was born in 1412 to a fairly well-to-do peasant couple in a village 200 miles southeast of Paris, France. She was only 12 when she began experiencing visions and hearing voices that she later identified as Saints Michael the Archangel, Catherine of Alexandria, and Margaret of Antioch. At the urging of her voices, Joan cut her hair, dressed in men's clothing, and led French troops against the English in the Hundred Years' War, recapturing the cities of Orleans and Troyes. These victories enabled French King Charles VII to be crowned in 1429. The following year, Joan was captured and sold to the English who imprisoned her. Tried for heresy and witchcraft, she was condemned to death. On May 30, 1431, Joan was burned at the stake, her ashes scattered in the Seine River. Twenty-five years later, a second trial nullified the earlier verdict, acknowledging that the defeated English had resented Joan's part in France's military success. Best remembered as a soldier, Joan of Arc was devoted to the sacraments, which strengthened her compassion toward the poor. She was canonized in 1920. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up in that whole selfishness, that whole... You know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you, and this is our half hour together, so please feel free to call in with anything on your heart, whether it's your name or anonymous. Uh, the, the matter of the heart is um, uh, the matter of your heart. The heart of the matter, I always say, is the matter of your heart. The toll-free number, one 511 or email at mother at the station of the um, We have a uh, two comments from Facebook, one from Andrea and one from Cave. It's K A V E H Cave. I'm not sure quite how to pronounce it. Um, they're both about the same thing, and I'm going to take them. They have to do with the validity of my vows. You know, beloved, since the uh, uh, beginning of this community. Uh, we say order because it's two syllables rather than four syllables, community. And people say, we love your order. And I let it go. But uh, a po- from the possible exception of Mother Teresa's order, there hasn't been an order in the church for 400 years. I believe the visitation order founded in 1610 by St. Francis de Sales was the last order. Again, Mother Teresa's community may have been considered by the Vatican in order. I don't know, but um, it's very rare 
that one reaches the state of being called by the Vatican in order. And our constitutions, everything about us calls us a congregation or a community. Those are interchangeable words and they're correct. So when we say order, it's just a common word that is known to syllables, easy to say, but we are a congregation or you could say a community, uh, but not an order. Uh, all the new communities that have begun, there's thousands of them, and they're often referred to as orders, but they're not. They're communities of religious or congregations. So let me just make that clear, uh, because I think that was a, a, an issue with somebody in the past. But let me just explain in general, and then I'll take these two very specific uh, statements. We began in, uh, I even hesitated um, giving the news about my final vows because I, I figured that we've been in existence for all these years um, and I'm the prioress and we're functioning and I, I thought it might raise a number of questions but uh, there have been people that know this and have been waiting for me to take final vows and I just wanted to um, uh, clarify it. So we were founded under uh, then Archbishop Burke, now Cardinal Burke in St. Louis. And very shortly uh, after we were founded, Cardinal Burke as Archbishop Burke was called by Benedict XVI to head the apostolic signatura in Rome. And the new bishop, I went off to take my canonical novitiate year because we didn't have a bishop. and. I knew I didn't come from another order, so I needed to follow all the rubrics and canon law of the church, which I have. And so I went off to take my uh, canonical cloister novitiate year with the visitation of Holy Mary, again, founded by St. Francis, Francis de Sales, who was my only patron and now one of our four patrons, um, and spent the year with them. During my year with them, Archbishop Carlson was replaced in St. Louis and asked me to wait till the end of the, the uh, novitiate year to come and see him, which I did. And when I saw him, um, he actually began the process of removing me from St. Louis. Um, and I, I'm just, I don't know how much to make known publicly. Uh, the, the, the Jewish community was very upset with our being there. Our name, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, and they complained that we were coming to proselytize them. They complained to Cardinal Burke as well. But he said to them, no, this is Catholic and it's to help restore the family. And they didn't believe it. And they pledged when Cardinal Burke left that they would get rid of us. And under uh, Archbishop Carlson, they succeeded. So Archbishop Carlson put us out and Bishop Slattery. So we couldn't continue the canonical process in St. Louis. Bishop Slattery of Tulsa received us. And when he retired, um, and he made us in 2011, a public association of faithful when I took my temporary vows. Um, and um, oh, I'm losing my, uh, uh, my train of thought here. So um, when the new bishop came in, when Bishop Slattery retired, Bishop Condola came in and didn't know me, but he was ordered to put me out and I, I I won't give out names or any of that but he was ordered to find out who I was and put me out of um, Tulsa and it took him four years to do that and no bishop would accept us for 
uh, or if they called Bishop Condola, they weren't about to accept us, and they were given whatever poison he told them from whoever ordered him to put us out. And I, I shouldn't even be saying all these things publicly, but there's so many comments with complete ignorance on our history and what has happened. We had my final vows were already planned for the cathedral under Bishop Slattery. And so when he was retiring, he said, I'll do them, but I want, I think it's better for you to wait for the new bishop so you could bond with him and have that together. Well, against the desire of my heart, uh, I love Bishop Slattery. He's a beautiful bishop, a true father of the faith. So I waited, and the new bishop, Condola, when he came in, uh, he knew my vows were ready to be taken, final vows, at the cathedral. He met with me three weeks later and asked me to cancel them. Uh, and he kind of asked me, to, he said, oh, cancel your vows, by the way, just the way he would ask me to cancel a dentist appointment. No understanding, shock of my life. So um, seven of us walked out of there. Uh, the, the women weren't with me, but they were waiting in the chapel and we walked out dumbfounded. So um, the, my, cancel, my vows were canceled because I never had them. I never had the opportunity to have them. Um, Bishop Condola told me to cancel them. And I've always been under obedience. That we did. And it took a long time for any bishop to accept us. When Bishop um, Vinky of Salina, Texas, he's a very good man, received us and also, we planned our vows, and then he thought better of it that it was too soon after my coming to Kansas to have vows, so we would wait a year, and so they were canceled again, and then we would wait a year. But things got so difficult for us in Kansas that um, we never had our vows, and at the invitation of Bishop Strickland came to Tyler where this good and holy bishop will finally receive my final vows, which, yes, were canceled or postponed three times. Canceled not because they already had them, but because I never had the chance to have them. They were canceled because they had already been planned. So maybe I, that's very confusing for some, but I, I've never taken them. Um, and so now I will be able to have them. Um, on, and I, I mentioned September 8th in the cathedral um, with Bishop Strickland. So I'm, I'm thrilled about it. And I wouldn't have made it known publicly, but I've had so many uh, people who know us and who know me and who know the story and the suffering over these many years. Um, and they want to be there. And so I made it known, knowing that people would say, how could you have not had vows all this time? Our constitutions approved by Bishop Slattery, um, which were approved in 2011 when I took my first vows and when we became a public association of the faithful, um, our constitutions, um, uh, because we're a founding order, allow for uh, the sisters in temporary vows to have certain, to have all the positions that an established order would have. Normally, an established order, you have to have final vows in order to be uh, a, a prioress, sub prioress, um, cellarer, um, 
all the all the offices that are uh, uh, involved in a Benedictine order. But for a founding order, it, it, the bishop even put into our constitutions canonically correct that in temporary vows we could hold those positions because we're a new order and we have to have those roles to get started. And so normally we would not be in black veils until our final vows. But um, Bishop Slattery at the time and the priests that were there thought it was appropriate to put me in a black veil and make me prioress. They did it, not me. Um, uh, all okay with canon law because because I was the foundress and we need time to establish and have final vows. So that's the story in a nutshell. And um, all was done well, canonically. Um, we put out on our newsletter the entire process of those vows, uh, temporary vows, uh, published it and all of that. So now um, it's um, 15 years after our initial founding. And uh, since 2008, um, is it 15 years? Let's see, 18, 15 years. And finally, under this good and holy Bishop of God, we are able again to take in women, and we have. We came with two. We now have six. We have three more entering, which is nine. We have over 50 and three more coming next week months to discern and over 50 women who have written to come in because now we can move forward and so that's the story beloved i've given you a a whole bunch of information which i've been giving to people individually but so many people are writing i've looked at a number of your comments it breaks my heart but how people assume things uh without knowing what they're talking about it it that's it's hurtful, but I go on. I mean, this is normal for me since we began. And so um, I thought, well, I'll take the time to give you a further inspiration. So my cans, my vows have been canceled uh, or postponed. And the only time they were actually canceled was in, um, um, let's see, uh, when Bishop um, Condola came to Tulsa I don't remember offhand the year, but um, but he asked me to cancel them. He didn't even we didn't even talk about them. He knew they were set for the cathedral, and before I left his office, he said and he just he casually said, "Oh, by the way, cancel your vows." My goodness! So that's what happened. All right, let me see if I could uh, answer Andrea, who says about the news of your taking final vows in her email. How can she be a mother superior without her final vows done already? Well, I hope my explanation has just answered that some. Our constitutions, again, have stipulated and they're approved um, uh, by the local bishop. And that's all that's needed for a beginning community. Not an order. We're not an order yet. We're a community. We're a congregation. Again, the word order is used because it's shorter and people say, I want to enter your order and I don't correct them. Um, but canonically, we're a congregation or a community, interchangeable words. And so um, that's what happened under the authority of the bishop at the beginning, which again, the constitutions allows. I've known other uh, orders, so to speak, communities, um, some that are fairly well known that um, 
have not even, that are still under uh, the first canonical step of becoming a public association of faithful. And once that happened, the women were able to take orders and the foundress become a superior. Uh, again, uh, because they're new to the church and the church provides for a new foundation to be able to grow. There's the music, beloved, uh, for our final break, actually. I'm going to answer Kava's uh, Facebook comment uh, when we come back. And you're welcome again to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Ask any question. I don't normally make all this public, but I made the, the news of my final vows public. So I don't blame people for having a, a million questions. It is unwise, however, to uh, come up with conclusions uh, that when you don't know the situation. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jim Havens, co-founder of the National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood. Some truths are self-evident, some rights are unalienable. It is a scientific fact that life begins at conception fertilization. It is a foundational moral truth that we ought not murder innocent human beings. Every human being is a human person with a right to life and the equal protection of law according to the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yet we have an ongoing daily mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters. It's time for all men and women of goodwill to rise up together in the public square and say no more. Come join us in Albany, New York on Saturday, June 3rd. Men, let's go first and gather at 9 a.m. for the Men's March. Women, we need you to join us at 1045 a.m. for the Rally for Personhood outside of the New York State Capitol. We'll have some great speakers along with terrific opportunities for formation and fellowship before and after. Go to themensmarch.com for all the details. See you in Albany. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. about this. There are five freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peaceably assemble, freedom to petition the government. Which freedom can you live without? Fortunately, the First Amendment doesn't make you choose. It protects all five freedoms equally. Think first. Go to thinkfirstamendment.org to learn more. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear ones, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, this is our last segment. We do have about 10 minutes. Our lines are open if you wish to call in with anything on your heart. We are, um, we've been answering a couple of uh, questions on Facebook. Some of them are comments, and our, my producer, James, uh, um, helps put them into a question so I can respond to them. Um, here's a second one. It's on the along the same line of whether 
we are legitimate and how this and how that, how could I be taking final vows? And this comment is from K-A-V-E-H, Kave, I don't know how do you pronounce your name, dear one, but um, he says this, in regards to your response to the individuals discussing the state of your vows, you yourself have said that you had your vows denied or canceled by four bishops on your podcast, dated the 11th of August, 2022. Well, I went from Bishop, um, well, Archbishop uh, um, Burke, who's now Cardinal Burke, who didn't cancel anything, the Holy Father called him to Rome, to Archbishop um, Carlson, and then to Bishop uh, Slattery, and then to Bishop Condola, and then to Bishop uh, Vinky, and now, blessed be God, I'm under uh, one of the most wonderful, fearless, holy bishops in the church, Bishop Joseph Slattery. Um, I've already answered, uh, Strickland, oh, I said Slattery, thank you so much, Bishop Strickland. Boy, James is right with me, he protects me, what I say, make sure I'm thinking, um, Bishop Joseph Strickland. Um, and so, um, you that yes, I said my vows were denied or canceled, that's correct. Um, denied is correct or postponed. I, I don't know if I've said denied, perhaps I did, but postponed and canceled. I said they were either canceled or denied by four bishops, either canceled or postponed. And there was only one bishop who canceled them. And that was in Tulsa uh, when they were about to take place. And we waited for the new bishop and he canceled them. So they never took place. I hope that helps. I hope that answers you. And I rem- I recognize your name, Kava, uh, Kave, or however you pronounce it. I don't know how I apologize. Um, uh, because there have been a number of forums in which you have commented many, many times. And th- what breaks my heart is that people, uh, they have a little bit of information and they just blow it up. Uh, Even a couple of people who I've spoken to personally feel the freedom and lack of integrity to post those things. Uh, The respect is gone today. And uh, I've heard from a couple of people that, uh, let me just say this in case you're one of them, Station of the Cross, who uh, proclaims the truth with clarity and charity, which is why I'm on their station, and that is their motto, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Even a couple of people have complained, I'll make this public, that the Station of the Cross has removed their comment from Facebook or wherever else is posted. Well, indeed they should. And because the comments, have, some of them have been vile, some of them have been greatly disrespectful, some of them never stop from the same person, and they need to be taken off the air because they're not proper for discussion. If you have any comment and you can be respectful on a Catholic forum and speak as a Catholic, it won't be removed. But if you cannot, you belong on another forum, but not on the Station of the Cross. Um, Let me see now. We have a a comment from YouTube from Anna. And Anna uh, says, nowhere in the Bible does God say to do or instruct how to do the sign of the cross? Well, you're right, Anna. You're very right. Um, And she goes on to say, God strictly forbids in Exodus 20, verse 4, and in Deuteronomy 5, 8, not to make any images, not to bow, 
not to worship. So she says, so either one is sin. Um, uh, Roman Catholicism not only does all three, yes, it does, but also encourages people to do it. This nun teaches you how properly to make this nun, meaning me, the sign of the cross, so you will not sin when do it. doing it already is a sin itself. It's ridiculous. And she goes on to say, who taught her? Nowhere in the Bible you will find this. It is anti-biblical and has to be told. Everything which is anti-biblical has satanic origin. So just think whom you worship making the sign of the cross. Um, it is not difficult to guess. It is pure idolatry that God forbids. Well, Anna, um, obviously you're a Protestant. Uh, at least it's more obvious that you're not Catholic. And I once believed, as you believe, because our Lord says in Exodus Deuteronomy, not to make any false images. Uh, but the fact is, God has made images. The cherubim and the oxen, he's, to, he's proclaimed, uh, ordered the Israelites to make images. What they're not to do is to worship images. And there's no Catholic who worships an image. Not at all. We do bow. We bow to one another. Uh, people all through scripture have bowed. And to worship, uh, no one worships those images. But in the old language, worship is the combination of two words, worth and ship. That it means to give someone its worth, his worth. So when even the scriptures speak of giving extra honor to bishops and elders, it, it, the old word is worship, giving them their worth. And so worship is not a bad word. Um, in the old books, even the Blessed Mother was spoken of and some saints to be worshipped. That means not to give them the adoration that's due to God, but the honor that's due to man. There's two words for worship. One is that given to God, and one is that given to man. Um, and so um, we're going to come to the end of our program in two minutes. But um, Catholic uh, answers, and I tell you, the, if you go to catholicconvert.com, Steve Ray has given a beautiful, he's a convert to the faith, and he's given a very lengthy, beautiful response to the sign of the cross. And um, let me just see, um, it says to all those who believe that the Catholic practice of making the sign of the cross is a man-made rule seeped in empty ritual, I say, reading the writings of the early Christians. Read the writings of the early Christians. And the earliest Christians, beloved, were discipled by the apostles. Um, Polycarp was discipled by St. John, the evangelist. One quickly discovers that the early Christians did not view this gesture, gesture as an empty man-made invention. It was prayer. It was a symbol of redemption and a profession that they belonged to Christ. It also spoke to their belief in the incarnation, the death and resurrection of Christ and the Trinity. It was a sign that everything they did in life was for Jesus. It was a summary of their faith. The beautiful, this beautiful gesture still holds the same meaning for Catholics today as it did in the early church. And he quoted Tertullian, who lived in the second century, the year 160 to 220, who said, quote, in all our coming in and going out, putting on of our shoes 
at the bath, at the table, in lighting our candles, in lying down, in sitting down. Whatever employment occupieth us, we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross. There, that's the second century. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, let us then not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Be the cross our seal, made with boldness by our fingers on our brow, and in everything, over the bread we eat and the cups we drink, in our comings and goings, before our sleep, when we lie down and when we awake, when we are traveling and when we are at rest. Um, beloved, this was within the hundred years of the disciples. They were true Christians and they were Catholics. They were not Protestants. Protestantism has just jettisoned so much of the true faith God has given. It's become very poor and distorted. We'll speak with you tomorrow, beloved.